want you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8 this morning. Wow, what a chapter in the Word of God. What instruction. Romans chapter 8. And then when you find that, there's one other place, Hebrews chapter 6. And I want to talk to us. Just want us to kind of gather in the living room like my dad used to do. And I want to talk to you as a pastor and sheep and a shepherd. Actually, this church belongs to the Lord. You know that? Yeah, I like to call it my church, but it belongs to somebody a whole lot higher than me. But I have the privilege. Just want to start up front and tell you this. If you do not purposely occupy your mind, you don't purposely think on the things of God and live according to the Spirit, if you don't do that, Satan will. The good news is we have the choice. Say praise the Lord. Watch this. Romans 8, look at chapter or verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If that stopped right there, we could just shout and be wonderful. But it doesn't. It, there is a condition. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. How many of you want to have no condemnation? Then you've got to listen to the Spirit on purpose. For the law of the Spirit of life is Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Thank you, God. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh... God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit... Watch verse 6. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. I want to share with you something about that. This all has in mind, of course, the peace we have in Christ and the life that we will know in eternity. But I want you to know these words are written to Christians so that you and I can live life and peace and joy and happiness and be in abundance of the blessings of God, not all measured by finance and not all measured by natural blessings, but by supernatural and spiritual blessings. God is interested in the fact that He wants us to enjoy the here and the now while we plan on the future. I think we ought to celebrate birthdays and have fun on planet earth. How about you? He gave it to us to enjoy. And so, but we have an enemy and the, the particular place we put our thoughts and keep our mind, that has much to do with how we live this life. I want to read verse 6 in, in uh, the New International Version. The one we just read, for to be carnally minded is death. This one says, the mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. One other verse 6 in the New American Standard Bible, which I love. It says this, for the mind set on the flesh is death. But the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. 
Ladies and gentlemen, your present and your future determines much about what you have your mind set on. Hebrews 6, the writer of Hebrews tells us something. It says, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul. Let me tell you what that hope was. The fact that Christ came and lived a perfect life. He sacrificed Himself on Calvary. He was buried. He rose again. He ascended to the Father. He took His own blood to pay for your sin and mine. And God accepted it. And this same writer says, once and for all, He has paid that price. And Paul said, that is our hope. And he calls it the anchors of our soul. I want to use that word anchor to talk to you today. The mind that God has placed in the human being, you and I, we are called His image bearers. God has put in you a phenomenal thing. It's called your mind with the ability to think. Thoughts are powerful. Don't think that our enemy doesn't know how powerful our thoughts are. As a matter of fact, I believe the scripture is true that in the last day, Satan knows he has a short time. He is determined today, young people, ladies and gentlemen, he is determined to try to control our thinking. He does it by pressures of all kinds. He does it on the blue screen. He does it in language. He does it everywhere he can. Television, radio, you name it, Satan wants to control our thinking. Here's why. If he can control our thinking, you've heard me say he can control our emotions and our moods. And here's the problem. Most people make major life decisions based on a mood or an emotion. And ladies and gentlemen, that means Satan has an inroad that we need to be aware of. It's easy to be discouraged today. It's easy to be negative. And let me tell you, it's easy to be overwhelmed in your mind and in your life. Satan plays for keeps. Too many times I've walked to a pulpit and known young teenage kids who with their whole life in front of them, Satan gets them dwelling on one thought too long, too long until they decide life is not worth living and they take their life. Don't tell me that it's not important what we decide to think about. So with that in mind, I want to just talk like a dad to all of us. Let me say that what is real versus what is imagined in the mind, what is real and what is imagined the brain does not distinguish between them. Years ago, I was involved in some major demonic deliverance ministries. And I came across a term that I didn't know. I know we have counselors here that, and, and people that have master's degrees. And they probably know a lot more about that than I do. But I came across a term. It was called phenomenological. And that term simply means this, that you can take someone and program them through repetition or pain or whatever process, and you can so program their mind, and you can tell them long enough, especially with pain, that this is real and this happened and it's really not true at all, but they believe it is. 
Don't tell me the mind's not a powerful thing. What is real and what is imagined didn't distinguish which gives facts and faith the importance that they have. Facts, ladies and gentlemen, will let you know what is imagined and what is real. But so does faith. Watch this. As a matter of fact, that's what gives power to faith. Faith can see the invisible. Faith can believe the impossible. And listen to me, saints. How many of you are saints? How many of you are saved and you know it? If we're going to believe the book and know about faith, the fact that faith sees the invisible and the fact that it believes the impossible, that's the way you and I, God's children, defy circumstances. It's the way God promises, His promises become our reality. I want to tell you, we can believe this book. There's an organization in San Francisco called the San Francisco Explatorium. It has a mission statement that goes something like this. We're here to ignite curiosity, encourage exploration, and change the way the world thinks. And it uses many tests to try to come at a particular subject many different ways rather than the same way. It conducted years ago a study with unsuspecting guests. They were randomly selected while they visited the Redwood Forest in California, the Sequoias. They gave two groups two questions. Listen to them. Group one, they gave this question. Number one, is the height of the tallest redwood more than 1,200 feet? Question two, what is your best guess about the height of the tallest redwood? That's group one. Group two were asked two questions. The first one was this. What is the, is the height of the tallest redwood more or less than 180 feet? And the second question, what is your best guess about the height of the tallest redwood? To the first group, the first question was, is the height of the tallest redwood more than 1,200 feet? To the second group, they asked if it was more than 180 feet. Those are called anchors. They're thought anchors. And I want to talk to you a little bit later about the anchoring effect. So watch this. Those anchors greatly affected the answers of those two groups of people. Those given the anchor of 1,200 feet, when they dropped the anchor in their mind of a possible 1,200 feet, when they asked them what their best average was, they guessed 844 feet. Those given the anchor of 180 feet, they guessed an average of 282 feet. The difference was 563 feet. That's a 55% difference and a result of what psychologists call the anchoring effect. Simply applied... Listen to me. We tend to rely heavily upon first factors, first price, and first impression. 
How many of you have ever had a first impression of someone and you totally missed it? Come on, let me see your hand. I think most of us have. We rely too much on the first factor, the first price, and first impression. Once we anchor that idea in our mind, here's the deal. It becomes a baseline for all of our decisions. And let me tell you how. We don't know it, but we use it every day. Let me give you some common situations. By the way, if you're curious about the redwoods or the sequoias, they rank as the tallest trees on the planet. Their root system goes 13 feet down and can be 100 feet in radius. They can be as much (laughs) as 360 feet tall and live up to 2,000 years. They're an awesome creation. But I want to talk about this anchoring effect. Here's where we see it. Parents use it all the time. If, If their teenager desires to stay out till midnight and... You want them in by 11, the parent will drop an anchor of 10 p.m. And that sets the perimeters and the anchors of thinking. And we say, well, it's a compromise. Actually, it's called negotiating. (laughs) Retailers do it all the time. They price something at $50, and if you pay $50, even if it's worth it, you don't feel good about paying $50 because you don't like paying retail price. Isn't that true? How many of you like a bargain? So you know what they do? They put it at $50, set it at a 20% discount, and you go buy it, and even if it's not worth that, you still feel good about it. It's anchoring effect. We use it all the time. Let me just tell you something. Even Satan used it. Adam and Eve were to eat from every tree except one. Hundreds of thousands, millions of trees, the fruit they could eat of any of those except one. And Satan parked at that isolated one negative and planted an anchor in their mind. And they fell. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Satan will always, hear me, Satan will always park at every negative he can make you dwell on if you'll stay there. It is a powerful thing. The implications and the applications, ladies and gentlemen, are profound. So so watch this. If the battle is lost or won in the mind, then where you drop your mental anchor, that will dictate your future and your outcome. It matters if you'll allow me to say it. It matters a heap on where you get your information and what you dwell on. Hebrews 6.19, we read it. Because Christ has gone to the place and offered His blood and He's resurrected, ascends at the right hand of the Father. That's absolutely, Paul said, or the writer of Hebrews said, that hope is an anchor. God's promises, the absolute emphatic Word of God, puts an anchor. But I want to tell you something. Ships that have anchors don't just drop anchors to just keep them from drifting. 
It's actually used for something entirely different. An acre can also be thrown out in front of the ship. And it's used to navigate through treacherous channels. They raise it and lower it and they find their way through by those anchors. The nautical term for that is called kedging. It's the picture that the Hebrew writer is saying, this is our hope. It tells us how we navigate all the raging waters of our life and we can have life and peace and joy because we're anchored on something that does not change. So let me make this statement. For better or worse, your focus determines your reality and your future. And if you keep listening to the negative that Satan puts in your mind all the time, he will defeat you over and over and over and over again. I think one of the most disappointing things that we may have when we get to eternity, and we make eternity in heaven, I wonder if we're going to be disappointed in what God called us to do, what He wanted us to do, and we missed it because we were either lazy or we listened to the wrong words and the wrong message all of our lives. Because I want to tell you, if you had any idea what kind of potential you have, and get the snare of Satan out of your mind. I want to make this statement. I'm going to jump up in front of my notes. I'll say it again. You and God are a majority, but Satan doesn't ever want you to know that. So they put this out in front of the ship. If we're going to, our focus is going to determine our future. There's an old acronym, FEAR, F-E-A-R. It's expressed like this. Faults, expectations, Appearing real. Fear. If gratitude is thanks for God after something happens, then faith is thanking God before something happens. Young people, ladies and gentlemen, if you anchor your emotions to circumstance, They're going to look like the stock market. They're going to be up and down every day. Young ladies with tender hearts and sweet spirits, don't you dare let Satan control you by emotions. You check your emotions with the eternal book. Young men, Don't make great decisions in your life based on all the negativity and what you like and what you don't like and something that's always saying, well, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. If you base what you think on emotions or circumstances, you will constantly live a life that will not add up. But if your emotions... And your moods and your decisions are based on the cross. That will become a fixed point of peace and direction for your lives. Scientists and psychologists tell us that we have somewhere between 50 And 70,000 thoughts a day. 
You didn't know you were that smart, did you? Between 50 and 70,000 thoughts a day. So let's take the median and let's say 60. Listen, even at average, you're 60,000 thoughts a day. Turn to somebody and say, wow, you're smart. Yeah, we are. I want to say four things about that. Four things about that. First of all, these are my points. Psychologists say that 98 to 99% of those thoughts are habitual. Yes. Satan gets you to think at one time, he'll just make you think and 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 and he will wear you out and make you convinced of where he wants to keep you limited. I, I need to cool it. I feel so passionate about this. I don't want to be shouting at you. It, 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 the same thoughts we had yesterday and the day before yesterday and the day before that, it causes us to think habitually, meaning we do not progress. And let me tell you, if you do not go forward, it won't be long before you'll be going backward. Your mind must be renewed every day. The scripture tells us, renew our minds every day. You cannot keep thinking the same things and expect a different outcome or a different outlook or a different mood or mindset. Let me just say something that will help you about habitual thinking. Take on a learning mindset. I'm going to learn something new and different every day. A poet, a French poet named Jacques Rita walked the streets of Paris every day for years with his intention. He said, I will see one thing new every day. Listen, he went on to say that's what kept him from falling, failing because he had to not get in the trap of habitual thinking, it would be a death trap to his mind. How often do you repeat things? What is it that you say to an answer to the same question all the time? Do you know that every one of us habitually think? And if we let Satan, he'll cause us to habitually think everything that this world has that will destroy us. Number two, only 12% of our thoughts are focused on the future. Only 12%. And let me just say, that's not good if your future-focused thoughts range from low-grade anxiety to full-fledged fear. If you're, if you're programming the negative and only 12% focus on the future, then you don't have anything to look forward to. Because if circumstance and situations in the present cause you 
with their, with their problems to allow Satan to always tell you how you have failed and how you have been nothing and why you are a nobody and yet you'll never be a no, an anybody and you, you're not the prettiest, you're not the smartest, you've done something stupid in school and everybody thinks you're a dummy. I will tell you this, as long as you believe it, Satan will sell it. Too often we let Satan misuse our imagination. Imagination is a great gift, but we should make sure that it's used in the positive. How many have ever heard something and you imagined the worst? Have you ever, I, say, I think I said this last week, you ever notice how we tend to the negative? Somebody gets a, a skint knee and you go, wow, I skinned my knee. And you can find two people say, I had a friend that died from that. The negative, the negative. We set those anchors in our thinking. Can I tell you something? Don't allow the enemy to especially affect your future and fill your thoughts with fear. Let me declare from this word, our God has not given us the spirit of fear. When you fear, it's of the enemy. I want to say it. Here's where I want to say it. You and God are a majority. I want every one of you to turn to someone and say, you and God are a majority. You and God are a majority. I wonder how many people by the millions have been kept in prison and not done nearly what God wanted to do in their life because they believed what Satan said and the enemy said rather than what the Spirit says about us. Faith is future-oriented by its definition. His promises are yea and amen. And the writer of Hebrews says that's all because of where Christ is and the finished work that He gave for us. Aren't you glad this thing is forever settled in heaven? I have to hurry. Number three, a Harvard study says this. Watch this. 46.9%. 46, almost 47% of us, we are thinking about something other than what we are presently doing. I'm going to confess my delinquency. Let me just say that I have a lot on my mind. I have so much on my mind. But I tell you it's true. I need to ask my wife to forgive me. Sometimes she has to try three times to get my attention. And I would just tell you, she said, I get so tired of repeating everything I say to you. You know why? Because we're thinking about something completely different than what we're doing. Psychologists Matthew Killingsworth and Daniel Gilbert say this, a wandering mind is an unhappy mind. You know why? Because it's not focused on anything. And a mind that's not focused is unhappy because it has no goal. It has nothing to look forward to. That's what Satan will do to your life, young people, if you'll allow it. This is, this is amazing. 
It's the opposite of the anchoring. It's the reason we are can be physically present and emotionally and mentally totally absent. I wonder if we should start our conversation with everybody and go, <laughs> Hello? Anybody home? Don't you dare do that to me. <laughs> I know I'm going to lose all my friends here, but let me just say this. The greatest culprits of this generation to be thinking about something different, totally different than what they're doing is on digital devices. It keeps us disengaged. Ladies and gentlemen, at your home, sometime young people, unplug that iPhone, unplug that iPad, unplug anything, and let's learn some people skills again. Let's learn some social skills again. Let's learn to to talk to one another again. Let's learn about people and friendship and get off these things a while. I'm not kidding you. You have a pastor Joe, you have a youth group and try to talk to them and there's 30, 40 of them, 50, 100 of them. They'll be over there on that phone doing all this. You, what are you thinking? Listen, you need to know how to learn to talk to your friends. Girls and boys and adults and moms and dads and grandparents. You, you, need, you actually need to learn how to figure some things out about people and not so much about I'm this, y'all are this. <laughs> I don't even know the difference. I'm going W H A T. These kids are going <laughs> I admit it. Fourthly, Cleveland Clinic estimates that eighty percent of our thoughts are negative. Eighty percent. So watch it, if we go to the median from 50 to 70 and we hit 60 and 80% are negative, that means 48,000 times every day you think something negative. 48,000 times. And then when we verbalize it because we get frustrated at negativity, we get frustrated in anger, we get frustrated at how we're treated because we're in a negative world, we get all the negative vibes and we get hammered by the negativity in our thoughts. You know what we do? We want to scream. So you know what we do? We verbalize those thoughts and that compounds the problem. Because let me tell you, I get frustrated and I want to tell my wife about it. And there's times when it works great. I'll go, so and so said this and somebody did this and did that. I feel like this and that. And she'll say, you know what to do with that? Take it to the scripture, take it to the cross, handle it. But there are other times when I go, somebody said, somebody did. And I feel like this and she'll say, listen, I can't help it and I don't want to hear it. Eighty percent of our thoughts are negative. Forty-eight thousand a day. If you verbalize it, it compounds it. So let me make a pastoral 
confession to you. There are times when I'm overwhelmed with negativity, criticism, situations, I don't know what to do, problems galore, values, not only church problems and, and ministerial problems and personal problems and family problems, on and on and on. I get so overwhelmed with negativity. I've learned to stop and I pick up God's Word and I read it verbally out loud. Because I need to silence all these voices that are trying to vie for my attention. Sometimes I pray Totally silently, I will not voice my prayer because I do not want the enemy to know what I'm praying for. Thank God for the Spirit where I can pray and let the Spirit give utterance because He knows the mind of the Father and my problems. I can talk to the Master and the devil doesn't have a clue. Thank God. Verbalize it. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Now, I'm not advocating any abracadabra, some kind of incantation here, but I will tell you this. Sometimes, sometimes you have to say what you believe, and you need to say it like you believe it. That'll be fun on Facebook, won't it? Listen, we, sometimes we need to say what we believe like we believe it. Jesus literally spoke to the winds and the waves, didn't he? He rebuked storms and devils and demons and fevers verbally. And he even told you and me that when Satan brings a mountain to our lives, he told you and me to say to that mountain, move. When you verbalize faith, it gives power to faith. It gives weight to it. It gives credence to it. So let me say, say it or sing it or pray it like you believe it. And worship it like you believe it. Of course, the opposite's true. There are things you should not say. Jeremiah, listen to all seniors here. Listen to this. Young people too. Jeremiah used his age as an excuse to do what God said to do. And the scripture says the Lord rebuked him. He, he went on. He went on to say. He said, say not that I'm a child. Well, I want to use that to say, say not that I'm too old. Because if you're here and you're breathing, God has a call on your life. Don't disqualify yourself if God has called you and he has. You love that? Perhaps every believer should have a say not list. And it's not just four letter words. Matthew twelve thirty six says, You will give an account for every idle word that you speak. That word idle in the Greek means every unemployed word. That means it's useless. It accomplishes nothing. It's worthless. It's just jibber jabber. Here's why you're going to give an account for it. Because God called you to speak and God gave you a mind to speak it. And if you don't use it for employment, that means doing something good and purposefully and helping life and lifting somebody. God's going to... Say you wasted that. So, 
That's all my introduction. Here's the message. You ready? Generation 2020. My text says this. The mind that is set on the flesh is death. But the mind that's set on the spirit has life and peace and joy. So let us hear it again. What Paul had to say to the Philippians. Be anxious. What did he say? Be what? Anxious for what? Nothing. Be anxious for what? Are you kidding, Lord? Let's say it again. Be anxious for Is God in control or not? Is He really in control or not? Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You know what? I knew when my boys needed a pair of cleats or a baseball glove. I knew when they needed it. But you know what? I wanted to wait because I want them to come and ask me. You know why? Not so I can be somebody big and there's somebody little. Here's what I wanted. I wanted my sons to have a relationship with me. Dad, I need this. And you think I didn't want to give it to them? How much more if we being human, the gifts to our children, how much more the Heavenly Father give us the Spirit? Finally, brethren, here it is, young people. I I trust this go to your spirit. Whatever things are true, didn't say gossip, didn't say lies, didn't say negative. Mom and Dad, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just whatever things are pure whatever things are lovely whatever things are of good report meditate spend some time think dwell on these things that's the message I started out this message with, if you don't fill your mind, Satan will. Satan would love nothing better than to occupy your mind with negativity about you, the world, everything, and everybody. I want to tell you something. We are all human beings, and we all have chinks in our armor, so to speak. We all have faults and failures. There is none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So don't expect perfection out of anybody. And it's a whole lot better if you don't. They won't expect it out of you. I'm going to tell you something I hadn't thought of in a long time. When Jesus was talking, I know for sure in Matthew, He said, as it's measured to you, as you measure out, it'll be measured back to you. And the common understanding of that is that if I criticize you, then that criticism would be meted back to me. And that's true. But I want to tell you something else that's in that. It means this. If you're negative, 
and you criticize and you gossip and you're always on the negative side of all conversation. Whatever you measure out, that same thing will be measured inside of you about you. The more, the more things you find out about other people, the more things taunt, Satan taunts you with. You want to be happy with yourself, be happy with others. You, you, want, to be, you, want, to, you want to be accepted by everybody, accept them. Because it's not measured back. Let us determine through the anointing of the Spirit of God, we're going to anchor our minds and our hearts in the Word of God because this is our future and it will not change. I speak this morning from the Word and some studies but I also speak from personal experience. Yes, pastor has said things he shouldn't have said and wish he hadn't. I have done some things I wish I hadn't done. I have lived my life in far too much negativity. By the help and the grace of God, I'm going to finish on a side where I can be hearing well done good and faithful servant